Morning, church. So good to be with you again. Just four weeks ago, uh, if you recall, wasn't that long ago, was Palm Sunday. And one of the interesting things about that is I, I think about the, the Christian calendar. And sometimes in our tradition, at least in the congregations that I grew up in, we didn't, we didn't talk much about the Christian calendar. We, just, we didn't do Palm Sunday. We didn't talk about Advent very much or those kinds of things. But one of the things I always appreciated about the Christian calendar is the fact that here we were four weeks ago in a lot of congregations, not just perhaps in Kerrville or in America, but around the world, were focused on the same text. I think there's something rich about that. And so about four weeks ago, churches around the world, those that celebrate Jesus, were looking at these texts that centered on Palm Sunday. And they were remembering the last time that Jesus went into Jerusalem. Do you remember the story? Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt. Uh, there are people spreading palm branches out in front of him on the path. And then there are people that are chanting as he's coming in, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's quite a moment. And it's a, such a stark contrast to what happened just a few moments after Jesus went into the city. And that's what I want you to remember this morning. I want you to hear these words from the Gospel of Luke this morning. And this is just after all of the celebration of Jesus coming into the city. Luke writes, as Jesus came to the city and he observed it, he wept over it. And then he said this, if only you knew on this day of all days the things that lead to peace. But right now they're hidden from your eyes. The time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, they will encircle you, they will attack you from all sides. They will crush you completely, you and all of the people within you. They won't leave one stone on top of another within you. Because, because you did not recognize the time of your gracious visit from God. Oh, to have the vantage point. <laughs> of God. We see palm branches in royal procession. But Jesus in this moment saw the whole history and the entire future of this city. He saw this city killing his prophets. He saw how this city rejected God again and again and again. And he saw what was about to happen. He saw that this city was about to reject God yet another time. He looked at this city and saw everything that would happen. He knew that they were about to reject God in a profound way. In just one week's time, this city would kill him. And to me, church, now here's the most amazing part of this story. Knowing everything that was about to happen, knowing that he was about to go into this city, knowing that they would indeed arrest him, knowing that they would beat him, knowing that they would kill him. Jesus went into the city anyway. There's power in that story. If Jesus had not gone into the city, then that next week, the first Easter, 
it never would have happened. So this morning, let's celebrate the fact that after Jesus wept over our sin, he went into the city anyway. That's the story of the gospel. That's why we come to worship each week. That is, as the song we just sang, remind, that is the heart of worship. When I think about the story of Jesus, when I think about the story of the incarnation, I also think sometimes of, of a firefighter. <laughs> when I was a child, when I was a little boy, I was enamored by firefighters. Uh, maybe it's a little boy thing. I, I, I was amazed by the courage that it might take to do what a firefighter does. There's one firefighter in particular I read about a few years ago. His name was Timothy Stackpole. Now, if there was ever a man that was intended to be a firefighter, Timothy Stackpole, I mean, my goodness, this guy was marked from birth to do what he did. Well, you may, you may remember his name because he was in the news quite a bit. I remember back in 1998, Timothy Stackpole was a firefighter in New York City, and he went into a burning house. I was actually trapped there for about half an hour. They had to come in and literally drag his body out. He survived. He survived. He recovered. And amazingly, he went back to work after he was fully recovered. And he continued to fight some of the toughest fires in New York City for the next 21 years. After 21 years with the department, he was finally made captain of his department, his precinct in New York City, on September the 10th, 2001, the day before the September 11th attacks. In fact, he was one of the first ones to arrive at the World Trade Center that next morning on September 11th, and he led an entire team of people into the first World Trade Center, and he never came out. There was an eyewitness, not to that moment. There was an eyewitness to that 1998 moment when he ran into this burning house. And this eyewitness said, I just don't understand it. He just ran into this burning building to save people he didn't even know. Who does that? Who runs into a burning building? Well, This morning, we celebrate the fact that God does that. This is the story of the gospel at its most basic level. God watched what was happening here. God saw this planet. God saw this universe. And instead of walking away, instead of washing his hands of us, which God could have done, God ran toward that fire. And he pulled us out of certain death. Over the last few weeks uh, that I've been with you, we've talked a lot about God's love. And more specifically, about the fact that God's love reaches into the world. God created this perfect world, and not long after this perfect world was created, things went awry. Things went wrong. And so in that moment, God initiated the greatest rescue plan that has ever been concocted. And it's centered around God's love. And the first part of this plan is that God reached out and he impacted with his love a single individual named Abraham. And then a little bit later, God extended the reach of God's love even further and it enveloped an entire nation, the nation of Israel. 
And then finally, God's love reached out to the entire world through the person of Jesus Christ. And there's a passage that was already read this morning that I think very succinctly states the message of this love of God. John 3.16, which most of us could quote by heart, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. There might not be another passage in all of the Bible that so succinctly states the message of the gospel and the message of God's love for us than John 3.16, which is probably why it's so well known. But if you were looking for a story, not just a single verse, if you were looking for a story that perhaps best encapsulates this love of God beyond the story of Jesus' death and resurrection... I think this story that we're focused on this morning does a, does a pretty good job. As a story, it really describes what God did for us. God saw our predicament that we were a, a world on fire and God came to us anyway. That's the story of the incarnation. And it's a story that repeats itself throughout the Gospels. Earlier, many years before, God is witnessing the world and saw everything that is happening and God came into the world, into a city not far from Jerusalem, Bethlehem. And if you remember, there he was in Bethlehem and the people came to him ready to proclaim him king. There's, there's magi coming from these, they're laying gifts at his feet. But then very, not very long after that, King Herod sends folks to try to kill this baby. And they had to flee and go to Egypt. So the first attempt to kill Jesus was unsuccessful. So here he is years later. And he's in a city not very far from Bethlehem. He's in Jerusalem this time. And once again, people are here ready to proclaim him king. And they try to kill him again. And this time they are successful. And Jesus knew all of this. And he went into the city anyway. Who runs into a fire? God does. That's the message of the gospel. This is how God extended the reach of God's love to envelop the entire world. Never, never forget that. One of the most amazing things, I believe, about the Judeo-Christian story is the fact that we believe that we were created in the image of that God. Now, there are a lot of implications of that. One of the implications is this, that we are, we are most like God. Maybe another way, we were most like what we were intended to be when we were created. When we too run into fires, it's in our DNA. That's what we were created to do. And I've seen people run into fires. Have you? Let me give you one example. Every study that has been published over the last several years, every book that has been published on the topic, every statistic out there tells us that the church in America is having great difficulty reaching people that are non-Christian, right? The, the growth that happens in some congregations typically is people moving from one place, one congregation to another. There's very little growth that's happening in the church within America for non-Christian people. And oftentimes it has very little to do with the name that's on the sign out front of the building. 
There are more and more people that simply are not Christian that are going to come into a building like this, regardless of what name is out there. And that reality, all of those studies, all of those statistics have led a lot of congregations and a lot of church leaders to just kind of throw up their hands and say, well, that's that. That's just where we are. That, that's the time we're living in. We wish it wasn't that way, but that's just, what we, that's just the time in which we live. And so there's, there's really nothing we can do about that. And they've kind of walked away from the problem. However, there are these five guys, I know a couple of these guys, in Nashville, Tennessee, that have seen those same statistics, they've seen the studies, and instead of walking away, they have run toward that fire. And here's how they've done it. They opened up a coffee shop in the middle of Nashville. And they call it well, the Well Coffee House. Serve excellent coffee. They provide a fantastic environment. Tremendous service. But here's how it's unique. After they pay all the overhead, after they pay for their supplies, and, and they pay the few employees that work there, they give 100% of the profits to that business to build wells, to drill wells for impoverished villages in Africa. That's what they do with the entire, the entire amount from the business. They're living out their faith in a very radical way. They're doing all of this because of their belief and faith and love for God. And they've They've created a very successful business model, and they're not making a dime. And what's interesting about this is that the people in Nashville have, have recognized this. And the business is growing and growing. They've been so successful, they've had to open new locations around the city of Nashville. And now there are other cities in America that are adopting that model, and they're creating their own well coffee houses around America. And people are coming for great coffee, they're coming for the service that they receive, and they're coming because they're drawn to that mission. But here's what's interesting about the model as well. When they arrive and they come for all of these things, they're also finding Jesus. Because the baristas that are hired there are trained not only to make great coffee, they're also trained to introduce people to Jesus. And so these people are drawn to this community the community is drawn to them. And not long ago, they, all, they opened up a church right in the middle of that coffee house. And on Sunday morning, they kind of pull some tables together over in a little corner. And they, they don't close the coffee house at all. And they, they just let people know, hey, we're going to have a service over here. You're welcome to come and join us. If not, that's okay. They, they opened up this church over here. They start singing together. They take a collection every week, and the collection they decide as a group who needs this this week, and they just give it away. It's a radical model. And they call this, this new development the, the Well House Church, or, and I love the way they put it, the house church that meets at the well. What a radical idea. See, here's an example of some, some guys that saw the same numbers they saw these dire statistics and the dire forecast out there that everybody else saw. But they didn't run away. They, they ran toward the fire. Now on a more personal level, there are all sorts of fires in our lives. Where are the fires in your life right now? 
How's your marriage doing? You know, there are some couples that I know that when things get really difficult, they run away. That is, they run away from each other. Makes sense. I mean, who wants to run to pain? There's always pain when you run toward a fire. And marriage is tough. Uh, Next week, Kim and I will celebrate our 24th year of marriage together. Hey. And most of it's been great. Some of it's been tough. Hey, kids are tough. (laughs) Marriage is sometimes difficult. And sometimes it, it seems like the easiest thing to do is just to walk away and to run away and to not deal with it. But what if, church, what if this morning, what if, if you find yourself in that moment where things are very difficult, what if this morning, at this moment, you decided to take the intentional step to run toward that fire? What if you decided today that you were going to try to get some help, and maybe from some of your brothers and sisters in this room, that you went to them, somebody that has traveled this road longer than you have, and you sat down with them and said, hey, listen, we need some help. What if you did that? Running toward a fire is painful, but God has promised to meet you there. How are you doing in your finances? You know, this is something we don't talk about a lot out in the open. But if statistics hold true, there are people in this room this morning that are drowning in debt, that are in debt up to your eyeballs, and you're struggling. And you're living paycheck to paycheck. And there may already be bill collectors calling your home. And you're struggling. And it's very tempting just to run away from a moment like that. What if you decided today, this very morning, that you're going to run toward that fire? And you were going to find some people in this room that you love and that you respect and you were going to be really honest with them and say, this is where we are. And we don't know how to get out of this. And what if you prayed together and you decided that you were going to get some help to try to learn how to use God's resources in very godly ways? What if you did that? Would there be pain involved? Yeah. There's always pain when you run toward a fire. But God has promised to meet you there. There are some folks in this room this morning that are harboring grudges against other people. And some of those other people are also in this room. Now there's a fire. That's a difficult moment. Maybe you're not talking to each other anymore. Maybe you've decided that you're going to refuse to forgive each other. And sometimes it's easiest just to walk away and to ignore it. And maybe you said said to yourself, well, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. Hey, listen, church, let me be honest with you. That's not how fires work. If left unattended, fires don't go out on their own. They grow. And no matter how far you run, it will catch you. And it will consume you. And oftentimes it will consume those around you. What if this morning you decided to try to deal with that? You know, as Christians, we love to celebrate the week after Jesus went into the city. We love to celebrate Easter, and rightly so. 
It's the time of resurrection. It's the time of great joy and celebration. But listen, if you're harboring grudges and hatred and resentment and unforgiveness, if you're harboring these things in your heart, that affects your soul. And it makes appreciating something like Easter very, very difficult. We need to remember that resurrection happens only after death. It happens after we let go of our pride. It happens after we let go of our bitterness. So if you find yourself in that moment in life, and all of us find ourselves at that moment in life at some point, if you find yourself there, here's a challenge for you. I encourage you finally to deal with it, to run toward that fire. It may not even be your fault. And let's just be honest. Oftentimes with things like this, there's always enough blame to go around. That's how resentment works. But let me challenge you not to continue to run away. Run toward the fire. You were made in the image of someone that runs toward the fire. You were made in the image of someone that oftentimes recognizes that the most difficult path is often the one that leads to resurrection. That's what love does. That's the love that has been extended to you. And we've been challenged to extend that love to those around us. There's a moment in Jesus' ministry that scholars have often pointed to as the, the turning point in his ministry. And it's, it's really a dramatic turning point. In fact, before this moment in Jesus' gospel, everything is going really, really well for Jesus. The crowds are growing. Miracles are being performed. Jesus is famous. People love him. And then after this moment that I'm talking about, everything changes. The crowds go away. It's just like they abandon him. And his ministry becomes very, very dark and depressing. And Jesus starts talking a lot about death and dying. I mean, a lot. And nobody wants to hear it. The moment that I'm talking about that stands in the middle of this crossroads moment is that, that time where Peter makes the so-called good confession. Do you remember this story? Jesus is there with his disciples in Caesarea, and they're talking with one another as they're walking along the road. And Jesus asks them that question, who do people say that I am? And all sorts of responses are given. Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say all these things. And, and finally, Peter is the one that stands up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And after that, everything changed. It was like somebody flipped a switch. Because once that profession was made, once the proverbial cat was out of the bag, Jesus had to begin to describe for the crowds what being the Messiah really looked like. And it wasn't about fame and fortune and big crowds. It was about death and denial and sacrifice. And everything changed. The crowds went away. This was the turning point in Jesus' ministry. And at that point, Jesus could have called it quits. He could have just gone back to the Father at that moment. He could have just said, enough is enough. I've been down this road. I see where this leads. I see where we're heading. 
I mean, after all, who wants to be a part of a ministry when all the crowds leave, right? Instead, Luke 19.51, one of the, I think, pivotal passages in all of the New Testament. Luke 19.51 says this, As the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up into heaven, listen, he determined to go to Jerusalem. There's another translation that I really love the way they render this. And it says that at this moment, Jesus set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. In other words, in this moment, Jesus ran right toward the fire. Because that's what love does. I want you to consider two really important questions this morning. The first one is this. Where are the fires in my life? And the second one, and this one's really important. In which direction are you running? Let's pray together. Father, you know as we do, that being human is often difficult. Relationships are tough. Marriage and raising children are difficult. Making a living is difficult. Practicing and living out our faith, these things are difficult. And you know, because at the center of this gospel story is the message of incarnation. You were here. You lived among us. And you understand. God, I pray this morning for great courage to run into the fire. God, we thank you for the model that you gave to us. And all the ways that throughout your life and throughout your ministry, you ran into fires. And God, we see that and we want to do those things, but we admit it's difficult. And so God, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us courage to do the things that you've called us to do. And God, we take great, great faith and great, great joy in knowing that we are not there alone. Thank you for your spirit that lives within us. Thank you for your son that walked among us. That's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're struggling, and let's be honest, sometimes we struggle. We don't like to admit it sometimes. sometimes. Sometimes we struggle. If you're struggling this morning, you need help in your journey. Let us pray with you. Don't go through it alone. Uh, this church family would love to surround you this morning and to sit with you and to pray with you, to go to God on your behalf. If this is the day that you would like to join this family and put on Christ in baptism, follow him down that road that he traveled so many years before. Uh, we would love to help you with that as well. And this body of Christ can help you in, 
In these ways or any other way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.